Okay, two minutes. Oh, we've been talking to ourselves, but um, yeah. oh, gotcha. But okay, here we are. Yeah, the sound has been horrible all week, so uh, we're still. All right, I need you to talk for a minute. I yeah. can say something. Test. I'm here. Don't worry, I'm here. People are still saying no sound, but sound. We got. I'm it. sure it's just a delay. Yeah, now we yeah. go. Yeah, we got it. Good. So many smiles and no sound. Well, you, you guys, uh, you missed all the fun stuff. Uh, all right, there we had is. a very there lame uh, opening mm-hmm. round robin about enthusiasm and stuff. But. I'm, see, here's the thing. I'm still somewhat new to live streaming with a guest. And so um, I'm working on it, guys. I'm working on it. So we do have my friend uh, and our YouTube apologist premiere, um, Inspiring Philosophy, also known as Michael Jones. And uh, Michael Jones is, uh, you know, one of the things that I think you're known for is your position on idealism, which is uh, something we're going to get into today. And it's not something that you see a lot among more of the, uh, the some of the more well-known, you know, in, in academics with their books and their life way and all those things, those kind of apologists. You don't get a lot of this stuff. And so it's a really interesting position. And I've been exploring it. And, and that means you bring in a lot of quantum physics and things like that, because there seems to be a complement a complementary relationship there that may indicate something about the nature of reality. So when I was looking for a, a video that I thought would be helpful to respond to, um, I found this video from Unbelievable Christian Radio with Justin Brierley from last year between atheist Daniel Dennett, who is also um, a compatibilist, which, as you all know, uh, means that he believes in determinism but uses uh, free will language. And so um, he was having a discussion with Keith Ward. And so this is uh, an interesting debate and kind of hits at the nexus between the things that we're interested in here on Trinity Radio and the things that uh, Michael is also interested in. And so I said, hey, Michael, would you want to come on and 
have this discussion with me. And so here we are. So, uh, Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. So uh, anything you want to say, anything you want to uh, push people toward before we jump into some of these clips? I mean, it's a good time to do this because I'm currently working on a series on this very topic. So part one is currently out. Part two will be out in a week from today. And then I have three more parts or actually probably four more uh, videos in that series that will come out. Now, is this is you're taking a break from the Genesis series, I guess, right? No, I'm still doing it. I'm doing like one uh, one video, um, like I'm doing Genesis 8 this month, Irreducible Mind Part 2 this month, do the same thing in August, Genesis 9, Irreducible Mind 3. So I'm able to do both. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning that it's pretty cool that you have uh, thrown out some more practical videos that relate to YouTube atheism um, to kind of, you know, the some of the some of the circles that you travel in and shows that you go on um it, it's cool that you can throw out those videos so like uh, uh you just had a video talking about the use of the principle of embarrassment outside of um new testament scholarship and we know that was it paul Ogia and t jump who have both said that you don't really find it outside of new testament about the scholarship. criteria of embarrassment Oh, I've heard it. I heard I've been here. I first started hearing a whole bunch of comments, people telling me you can't use that criterion. And I was like, what are you talking about? And then I came across people sent me a debate they had with T-Jump. And I was like, oh, wow, he's even saying it. And I came across a video because uh, I was preparing to study uh, stuff on the burial of Jesus. So I was watching some of uh, Apollo Gia's videos and he mentioned it, too. And I was like, they're all saying this. Like, are you kidding me? And then I found a clip of Godless Engineer saying it. I was like, oh my gosh. So I was like, let me spend a day. A day. I know I can remember one from my past studies. I'll spend a day. I'll email some scholars and some other apologists. I'll just look around. And sure enough, I found at least five examples of it outside of biblical studies. And I was like, all right, this will be enough for a video. I mean, yeah, so, well, yeah I mean, when I, you it make was it. like, I couldn't believe that people did that. Yeah, when you make the claim, nobody outside of biblical studies is it, and you find one, you've refuted all of them. So, but yeah, uh, you can find several pretty, pretty. Well, and just on the, and this is not what we're talking about today, but I, but I think it is important. Not you know on a on the face of it, it, it like even if that were the case, even if it were the case that no one outside of New Testament studies, which we're glad to hear that that's not the case, but even if it were the case, the principle is intuitively correct. If someone says something in a document, a historical document that would be personally embarrassing to them, that has to at least count in favor of the idea that they might be telling the truth. And of course, Bart Ehrman um, talks about that. He's a New Testament guy, but still, you know, he talks about that. And so I, I just, I, I don't get it. Um, but I'm glad to see you shot down that party line. And it's always nice when we can say, this is just incorrect. It's not a matter of opinion. It's not up for debate. It's just wrong, you know, so. Um, what, what is oh, that? I know. What is yeah. that I see on the screen? Is that, what is, I see ears and it's your some favorite kind of animal. And, oh, yeah. That's your favorite. Well, I said I wouldn't mention that, so I'm going to not mention cats right now. So, right. all right. So, uh, Michael, <laughs> let's just jump right into this. Wait, before we yeah. just right, uh, because you're going to be getting into idealism, give a rough and ready definition. Go ahead and give that right now, and well, and a rough and a video that that you have that you that's your primary video that you would want people to be introduced to the topic yeah. of idealism. Well, okay, so. Do yeah. that. Give us that. Tell us what video they should listen to. Right. But actually, Keith Ward is going to explain idealism. And then I want uh, IP to, to differentiate. Yeah. Okay. Perhaps yeah. between his understanding or yeah. what more he could say. So, but yeah. What that is a good point. What video would you recommend from your library? 
Um, perhaps my video called The Introspective Argument or my video titled The Emergent Universe. The Introspective Argument looks at that question from pure philosophy and the Emergent Universe video looks at it from more of like a scientific perspective. But those two um, The together. one I'm probably more proud of. Yeah, because, you know, I, I don't really have a video like just – I probably should make one, but I don't have one right now that says what is idealism because there's a lot of different views on right. that. Uh, but I mean – I mean, the Emergent Universe one, I'm probably a little more proud of because I put there's a lot of good research I like in there. And I also, at the end, explain what I mean by it. In, in a nutshell, idealism basically is all is mind. Materialism is all is matter. Dualism, substance dualism is there is mind and matter. So that gives you a, a rough view of what we're basically claiming here. Yeah. So let's get a little more clarity uh, by listening to what Keith Ward says about it. Um, and then you can talk a little bit more about, about your understanding. So here is Keith Ward from the debate. When you say, if you start from experience and you're not going to eliminate it, then your problem is, what is the material universe? Mm. It's, it's not the other way around. It's not. So it's, it's almost exactly the opposite way around, in a sense, to, to the view that Dan takes, that, that consciousness and mental stuff is dependent on, if you like, material That's stuff. Right. Your, yours is the view quite the opposite that the, the consciousness and mental activity comes first and and uh, that is it certainly comes the, first in the order of knowledge right. and then there's the question well uh, does that mean it comes first in real fact uh, and a person who is an idealist would say uh, yes that's the certainly a possibility all right so uh, you heard it there uh, what uh, Keith Ward is saying is like yeah of course it comes first in the order of knowledge. When we begin thinking and rationalizing, we, we, we can't help but begin that process in our minds, right? And so, in, and I think this is important to what I've heard you say in our discussions as well, is that is the thing you first have access to, right? And in that sense, that is the thing you can be most sure of, is that you, you're beginning with your conscious experience and then you're reasoning out to the world around you. Whereas the materialist wants to say, uh, while, you, while that may be true, the, the material is the thing that gives rise to the mind. So in a sense, and I just finished, uh, the other day I read, I'd never read it, The Signature in the Cell uh, by Stephen Meyer, and he was talking about how all Christians and all theists, well, maybe that's too broad, all Christian theists are in a sense idealists in the sense that mind precedes matter because God's mind precedes physical matter. But, but that's not, but then we get down into the weeds of, yeah, but what does it mean for the nature of reality if you take that and move forward with it? So how would you clarify or, or move further than what Keith Ward has just said? Yeah, so the idealist starts with mind, and then we uh, argue from there. What, what I tell people is I'm still a dualist in an epistemic sense. So I agree with a lot of the arguments you get from substance dualist. I'm just more of an epistemic dualist in that there is mind, and then there is information contingent on mind. It's not a separate substance. Think of everything you're experiencing, colors, sounds, smells. Well, these are all mental phenomena. Colors do not exist objectively beyond the agent. It's, there's different wavelengths that hit the eye, and the brain interprets that as color, according to the materialist. Uh, the idealist just sort of says, okay, well, if all we have is mind and these mental experiences, why posit another substance beyond that? You know, when you play a video game, for example, you don't posit that, that they're in that video game world. There's anything other than computer code. 
uh, all of the things that are emerging on the screen are not some sort of like separate objective world somewhere with like real atoms. It's all emerging from underlying code. Now, analogously from that, uh, just look at what we all experience. Everything is mental. You experience tastes, mental sensations, sounds, mental sensations, qualia, mental sensation. Why posit another substance beyond that when you, all of it can be explained in terms of information, namely mental information or what we would call phenomenology, phenomenal experiences. And so that's just basically idealism. All that exists is mind and the information, which we refer to as matter, which is contingent and processed on mind. Yeah, and so like if we were to like think about even in Kantian terms with Immanuel Kant, we would think about the fact that your sense perceptions, the, the senses that you have when you take in uh, the things from the world around you, uh, it kind of crafts the image in your mind and the thoughts you have about a particular object. So if you're looking at your computer monitor or your phone right now, um, it, it's difficult to get to the thing in itself, as Kant would want to say, because what is the thing in, in, in and of itself? What you're seeing is, or what you're experiencing, is the impression of that thing you get through your sense perceptions. And so what, where you would, and perhaps we could say in that sense that Kant was something of an idealist, right? But what you would say is you would go a step further and you'd say, now look, it's kind of like the video game character, um, like say Halo, for example, you're playing Halo and let's imagine there are no other online players. It's just you on a map in Halo. You're inside of a building and as you rotate, we all understand that um, all things being equal, the world that's outside of your character's view that's um, actualized or manifested on the screen is just ones and zeros. But as you move the joystick and rotate your character's field of view, those ones and zeros begin to manifest into an observable world that we can make sense of with objects. But no one's under the impression that the object, as you perceive of it from your experience, is actually there. What we're seeing is it's there in the sense that the, the, the information that makes up that world or is organized into that object. So um, I thought it was really helpful the last time you were on here. You said, so um, did, so did Jesus uh, really die on the cross and really resurrect and all that? Yes, of course. Well, d but does this, does this phone here really exist in my hand? Well, yes, in the sense that in the same, in a similar way that in World of Warcraft or something, the sword is really lying there on the ground and you can really pick it up. It's not that it's not real. It's just not real in the sense that you think that it's real. Right. That's exactly right. We have to distinguish between objective and fundamental. You can have objective facts in an emergent world. I mean, the sun, you know, the earth really does objectively go around the sun within this universe. There still are objective truths within an emergent world. And this has an impact for listeners on your understanding of the of the soul. I recently heard you say that you, you don't you think that term itself can be problematic, and I understand why. But where some people mm -hmm. would consider themselves to be, so so where you would have monists who think there's one substance who would be materialists, and they would say it's all material, and then you would have, um, and then and then you would have substance dualists, like most of our Christian viewers probably are by default, which is the idea that. You have the physical body, and I'm aware that they're a Christian physicalist, but you have the material body and the immaterial soul or spirit. Um, you're actually on the other side of the thing from the materialist. You're saying, well, it, it is perhaps that, and correct me on this because I'm not 100% sure your position, but it's, it's not that the one substance we're experiencing is the physical. It's that it's the mental, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it's 
part of the mental reality. I mean, everything is we experience is mental. Colors, shapes, sounds, smells. None of these are, are you know, sounds are just sort of like vibrations through the air in, in, a, in a purely physical sense. That's not the same thing as actually a sound. Like for the same reason, music is not the same thing as bumps or grooves on a CD. It's just when it you hear it, you hear it in a CD player, you hear music. But in an objective sense, if there was no mind there, that wouldn't really be music. Just like the same thing, I use colors because that resonates mostly with people. There are no colors in a physical sense. They only appear there when certain wavelengths hit your eye and then chemically goes back to the part of the brain and that emerges within the mind. So it seems like everything we're experiencing just seems to be a mental reality. Uh, why posit anything beyond that? And a, a good way to explain this is actually David Hume, ironically, came up with something called bundle theory. And he says, take any object like this, this uh, headphone case. I can describe it as hard. I can describe it as white. Uh, I can describe it as like sort of squarish, roundish. Take away all the properties, what is there left with? Well, nothing. It's, it's the only way I can describe it is in terms of properties. Yeah. So he got that just from, an idealist takes yeah. bundle theory. Yeah, yeah. He, a bundle theory is basically you saying everything is mental properties. Yeah, he borrowed that from Berkeley, but because that was his argument that you can't define matter out, out independently of any way that you talk about it through perception, which all ends up being mm -hmm. ideas, basically, in, in the mind. And so it's not... Right. And the problem that the idealist poses to anyone is how can you get around that to in, to posit the, uh, you know, from a realist perspective, how can you posit that independent? How, how do you escape your own mind in order to demonstrate the external world in the way that you want to believe that it exists as opposed to it just being the ideas and impressions that, that are received in inputs? So it's 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 hard. You can't get out of yourself to demonstrate it. Yeah, and the thing yeah. that's helpful about your right. uh, digital physics argument is because uh, is that you go further than just a flat idealism that's that's agnostic about uh, the true nature of reality or something. And what you say is um, is that the reason, like, unless you want to say you're a solipsist, right? Um, you you want to say, look. The fact that I can look at the table and see a cup there and you can look at the table and see the cup there does, you know, there is something that is actually intended to be represented there. But it's God who writes the code, basically. He's the game designer. He's like uh, he's like the one. Yeah, that makes I would, Go ahead. Yeah, I would call myself an objective idealist and that we are in an objective mental reality. Well, how can that be if we're all different subjects? Well, there's an objective mind that we're all dependent upon it. Reality is mental. Everything is every, mind is fundamental. Everything is contingent upon mind. And there is an objective re reality we're exploring. Well, it just gets you to theism from there because there's a mind on, behind the universe. There are atheists that are idealists. I don't understand how because it just seems so intuitively obvious. If you're going to be an objective idealist, you get to theism. Yeah. So with that, I let's just that. move on into the uh, Daniel Dennett's explanation of materialism, and then we can come back from that. All right. Here we go. He says that uh, sense experience, conscious experience, comes first in the order of knowledge. And I said, first in one sense, yeah. You, <laughs> you have to be awake and, and, and have experiences to start learning about science. Uh, but when you do, what you discover is that your not only do your senses deceive you, but sometimes you are wrong about your very own experience. You're not the authoritative, infallible, internal witness that you think you are. Uh, 
right, so we've got Daniel Dennett here saying, look, it's basically the opposite of what he just said. It's materialism. And after all, uh, you know, Keith Ward's over here saying, look, what you've got direct access to is your experience. You've got direct access to, uh, you know, this, this mental side of things. But you can be wrong about some of those impressions. Yeah, but all, but all, he's, all he's really arguing is, see, I don't, I don't know. And I, Michael probably explained this better than me. But it seems like my response to that would be, though, that when you are in this discovery process that what you thought originally was entirely wrong, you're still having that all occur in your mind. And so just because you've discovered something new about the code that you were mistaken about previously doesn't all of a sudden mean that it's not, for lack of a better term, code. Now all of a sudden it's an objective external world that's independent of any sort of mind whatsoever. That's how I would push back on that, but yeah, you're 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 exactly right. I mean, his whole art rationale is sometimes your experiences can be wrong, but the only way he can know that some of his experiences are wrong is because he has other experiences which show those previous experiences were wrong. So it's just it's circular reasoning there. I don't understand how he could try to get around that. He still would be using his experiences to show that some of his his experiences can fool him in certain ways. Like if I see like a shadow move out of the corner of my eye. And I turn and look, and I realize, oh, it's just probably a, maybe there was a piece of dust that just went across my face or something. I, I, I used another experience to determine the previous experience was just mistaken. It's not. I don't understand what he's getting at here. That doesn't really help his case at all because he still is using mental experiences to prove other mental experiences can be mistaken at times. Yeah. All right, so there's the, t there's the dichotomy. That'll help everyone be set up there for that. That's what's going on. So now let's take uh, an application of this, and let's think about, so what they're going to talk about next is, if, is basically underlying this has something to do with what is called the hard problem of consciousness, which basically is the idea that, look, you've got, and here is the hard problem. And by the way, this is a problem, even among materialistic, well, especially among materialistic, uh, philosophy of mind individuals doing work on that because you know how and the idea is how is it the case that physical matter uh, arranges itself in such a way that you get a conscious experience out of that and and um, you know IP I know you've done a lot of thinking about this and so I know you have a lot to say about that um, do you have anything you want to say before we go to this clip about ants and whether we can know if they're conscious yeah, I mean, just when people, Dennett really underplays the hard problem of consciousness. He doesn't even think it's a problem. And it's like, what? Like, I don't understand how he could even get to that. And so, like, to give someone an analogy, um, let's say materialism is true. And a belief you have is just some sort of uh, chemical pattern in your brain. Okay, patterns themselves are not about something. If I, you know, it's, you can't look at a pattern and go, oh yeah, that's about something. A belief is about something. How does a pattern go to being about something in consciousness? What sort of transforms it with these completely new, unique uh, aspects and properties with regards to it? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Consciousness itself is completely unlike anything we would see within the brain. We see electrical signals, patterns. None of that we would describe as self-awareness. None of that we would describe as, you know, as being a self or as an emergent I. Uh, so somehow the brain magically, I mean, it, it would be magic according to, you know, as even some materialists admit, uh, magically create these completely new unique properties, which are unlike anything we see within the physical universe. 
it doesn't make sense. And so this is why there is a hard problem of consciousness. Dennett really seems to underplay it, and I don't understand why. Well, so let me – so Dennett would say, to, to uh, at least to an idealist, so, so this Cartesian theater that you're positing in your mind that has these uh, aboutness to the beliefs, you know, because what you're, what you're saying is chemicals moving about in the, the body isn't intentional about anything. It's not about anything. It doesn't have any sort of – it's just objects in motion. But, but he would say, mm-hmm. whatever you, you're perceiving, whatever you take the Cartesian theater, if it exists at all, whatever you're supposing that is, without all of those physical moving parts, none of this ideas or illusions about a, a center of consciousness would even exist. So no matter what you want to say about anything else, uh, you, you first have to have all of these objects in motion in order for you to even have this idea that you're having a you that's having a conscious experience about anything. So what would your response be to that? Because I mean, that's, it well, seems like it's totally circular reasoning. He's got to assume that it's sort of built up from like a bottom up thing. And this is what I do and, and what I'll be doing in my, ne- my next video is distinguish between two things that I think then it all often conflates, which is the mind and the soul. You could say the mind is the conscious self or agent, the you. It is the you. Now your soul I would define as, now others will define this differently, but I, I would define it as your thoughts, your dreams, your emotions, your memories, your personality, all that information about you so that's your soul. So the mind is building a soul over time. And so when he like looks at the brain and go, oh, yeah, we can damage this part and it will take away a belief or it will take away memories. Well, you're not, we're not talking about consciousness there. We're not talking about anybody who is aware of those. We're talking about aspects of the soul, which we all agree evolves over time. You have a, a new soul today that you didn't have yesterday. You have new memories that added to it. Uh, it's malleable. You can lose memories. You can have thoughts change. So when he gets into this conversation, and he does this in his book a lot, uh, he seems to be not understanding what we mean by the conscious agent versus the personality or the information contingent upon the agent. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and and there's a lot. Obviously, there's a lot that we could go into here. I see some people asking about different theories about uh, that are out there. and, And of course, there's panpsychism that that consciousness is fundamental in a different way where where physical matter is all has a grain of consciousness and and all those kind of things but uh we're not going to get into that too much unless it comes up later um and ip wants to talk about it let's move on to this wait we breaking news here on trinity radio uh my biggest fan uh doug pine creek he he has destroyed you apparently so i just wanted to make sure you were aware (laughs) that he has destroyed inspiring philosophy yeah. yeah, it's very easy to destroy him. He just takes what I says. He takes the least charitable interpretation of that, and then he runs wild with it. That's how you destroy me, apparently. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's go on to look at instead of whether Pine Creek is conscious, whether ants are conscious. So here we go. What, what What's the problem with the idea of consciousness arising by a particular, you know, combination of neurochemicals? Well, because so a on. combination of neurons and chemicals is exactly that, and you could know all about that and not know about there being any consciousness. I mean, take an example uh, which appeals to me about an ant, right? Think of an ant as, is an ant conscious? Well, I really think we don't know. I don't think ants are conscious personally, but I really don't know. If I ask that question, I'm asking whether there is something about an ant 
that physical inspection cannot decide. Right? Mm. So I don't think any physical inspection of an ant will tell you whether it's conscious. Right, so that's All right, so, so uh, now actually, on the heels of what I just said we weren't going to talk about, I would say that someone who affirmed panpsychism, like Sam Harris's wife affirms, uh, would have to say something like, no, ants are conscious. In fact, electrons are conscious, but not in the sense that they're thinking about the experience that they have. But the, but the more complex it gets, the more consciousness begins to emerge. But, um, but, but the point here has mm -hmm. to do is related to the hard problem in the sense that um, the hard problem of consciousness in the sense that uh, you could know everything about the workings of the ant and you could you could build a book or perhaps an encyclopedia of ant cognition and think about all the things that are going on with the ant. But you could understand all of that and explain all of that and still not be able to answer the question of consciousness as it relates to the ant. What do you have to say about that, IP? Yeah, I, I would probably disagree with War on this because I actually do think ants are conscious. I say all life is in a sense conscious because I don't think, you know, the more thoughts you have, the more consciousness emerges, as you were sort of hinting to earlier. Uh, because thoughts happen in consciousness. You have thoughts within your own conscious consciousness. It's not how somehow a bunch of thoughts get together and consciousness emerges. That doesn't seem to make sense in an, even in an intuitive sense. I mean, so... I, I, the idea that somehow consciousness is going to emerge from some sort of these underlying processes or you know mental aspects like thoughts just doesn't make sense. Uh, all of these things are sort of happening in consciousness. Um, I kind of lost a little track there. Can you get, pull me back to where we were on the? Yeah. So so was he, the main question. So, so his so his point is obviously you could know everything you want to know about an ant brain basically you could you could understand all of that explain all of that physically everything you would want to know but that still wouldn't tell you whether or not the ant was conscious and in a similar way you might imagine uh saying about a man uh you could know everything about the mental function of a man and you could know for example that uh, you wouldn't know necessarily if you were dealing with a philosophical zombie or a or a or a conscious human being i think the reason he puts it with the ant yeah. is because it, there, it's more con it's more conceivable to us to imagine that maybe the ant doesn't have a conscious experience because it is acting very utilitarian. So, um, so I think his his point is to say, look, um, that that tells you that the consciousness is something. There's something else going on with the consciousness that's not explainable in terms of the physics of it or the physical aspects of it because you can know everything about the physical aspect of it and still not know whether or not it's conscious. Well, that's the thing is that there's no if if it's describable by physics or some sort of equation to describe it, mm -hmm. there's no evidence at all that we could ever describe consciousness by some sort of physical equation. Uh, like sometimes you'll see materialists compare con the brain creating consciousness to like the kidney creating urine. That's just what it does. And I'm like, well, you could describe all that by physics. You can't do that with consciousness in the brain. Yeah. When you look at the brain, we have no evidence of consciousness there. Uh, we have no evidence that there would be something that would describe or look like consciousness. It's completely other. And this is why even, you know, materialists like Yegon Kim or um, uh, what's his name? I'm forgetting right now. But um, Ned Block, for example, is another one. Colin, Mc Colin McGuinn is who I'm thinking of. They'll admit that when there's no way to describe consciousness in terms of physics. I mean, they're hopeful there might be someday, but currently there's no evidence for that. 
And all the evidence seems to be pointing away from that, ironically. Yeah, and I want the viewer to think about this just for a moment, particularly this, the um, materialist viewer that might be out there. I want you to really think about what we're saying here. Imagine that you have Legos and you arrange them in a really sophisticated way. I'm using Legos because Jonathan is a um, adult fan of Lego. Uh, but, but let's imagine you have a bunch of Lego and you put them all together. How sophisticated would that arrangement have to be before they before suddenly you have consciousness? Now, obviously, that's an imperfect analogy because Legos are not the things well, that we find. Go I got ahead. I got a better analogy. Okay, I got a really good analogy. I've been thinking about the past couple of days. Think of uh, machines. So, based on estimates, we think the brain may have a storage capacity of 2.5 petabytes. That's about 2.5 million gigabytes. Well, we've already built computers that have, you know, like really, you know, big, complicated, you know, server type computers that have exobytes on them that are processing far more information than that. And we have no evidence that consciousness is emerging from these extremely complicated computers. So if it's just this complicated information that just keeps bouncing around and processing information or processing syntax, and eventually you'll get consciousness, why aren't we seeing that when with the more complicated computers we get that have even surpassed the computational power of brains? Yeah, really interesting. So we, real quick, um, we have a super chat here, a couple of super chats that I want to throw up on the screen. This is from Shreeded, and Shreeded says, watch the debate a couple of weeks ago with Michael and Alex, that's Alex O'Connor, on the problem of suffering. And one of the key things that was left out was the sin nature. What do you have to say for yourself, IP? I think that was discussed what? in the debate. That was definitely that was in my opening statement. I had two of my points were man is sinful and depraved. And the other point was, you know, we left an abandoned Eden. Those were both in there. The reason why I didn't talk about it more is because Alex kind of like said, well, I prefer to focus on more like natural aspects of suffering. And I'm like, OK, that's fair enough. Let's go down that route. But I mean, I brought it up. Come on. Yeah. And perhaps what he means is that Alex didn't uh, didn't cover it. That was what was left out. I don't know. But thank you for the super chat, Shreeded. And I don't know if you yeah, know Matt Jackson, but here's Matt Jackson. And uh, he's a fellow apologist. And he says, yo, what's up, fellas? What's up, IP? Uh, <laughs> we love Matt up? Jackson we, around we, here. We love MJ. He 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 d gives too much to our channel, though. Yeah, he does give a lot to our yeah. channel. And we, we do appreciate it because Braxton spent a lot of money on his wife. I spend a lot I spend a lot of money. All right, so let's uh let's let's go on to the next thing. So um Well, I wanted to make yeah, one, one, one quick Absolutely, thing about, Dr. Pritchett, I, I, I defer. Okay, I defer. well I think the difference between the ant and and if it were possible for a machine to process so much information that it could gain self awareness or some sort of conscious experience. We know that an ant couldn't, but but to war Against Ward's point, we still know. We have no way of knowing no matter how much you break down the anatomy. But, but I think what IP is trying to get at that I think is important to illustrate is that if you could have enough complex thought that goes way beyond, like a computer should be able to, like you said, beyond our brain's capacity or at least the capacity that we use of our brain, there, there, we should be able to find another type of creature whether mechanical or biological, that can communicate something akin to our type of conscious experience that we can communicate to one another. So if it can come from matter at all, in a sense, why has it in any other creature detectable besides human beings? That's an interesting question that they never bothered to answer. Because we've seen instances of AI and everything else mm -hmm. that, are, that are matter, but yet no... And 
Yeah, and this you know, might be a good point. Billion, million years. No, th this might be a good moment no to bring in. Guy. I know you wanted to mention IP that in this discussion, and I don't have a video clip for it. That there is this discussion of vitalism, this idea that there is something, mm -hmm. uh, this something that kind of animates or or life. Like suddenly, you don't just have biological material, but you have what we recognize as life, and how that relates to consciousness. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, Dennett tries to like say, well, this is not a big issue because it's like vitalism. That's all that this heart problem of consciousness is. And I'm like, kind of shooting yourself in the foot there because we still don't have a clear cut definition of what even life is. I mean, there was a paper published in 2002 called Defining Life. And they say there's no broadly accepted definition of life. Suggested definitions face problems, often in the form of robust counterexamples. And so like, I don't understand what his point is there. He's trying to say like, oh, consciousness isn't that hard of a problem because it's just like trying to understand life. And I'm like, but we still don't fully understand what life is. Like yeah. you're not really helping yourself or doing any favors there. Yeah, and this is an amazing thing and we're going to get to it, but I don't know whether it is the the commitment to materialism that drives some of the counterintuitive, not just counterintuitive, but flat incorrect or contradictory things that Dennett thinks about uh, that and also free will that we're going to get to in next. But but the, I mean, it's with the free will thing. I mean, it's almost just a denial of reality at certain points. We're going to get there. First, I want to say a couple the, of first put that we'll put that one up. Here. OK, put this. This guy wants to he wants attention. OK, watch literally any of Pine Creek short clips on IP. My point is for you to pick concrete example and show how IP is being misrepresented. Right. My response to that is pick any of Pine Creek. Creek short clips and you'll see that Pine Creek doesn't understand a word of what he's hearing, which is why he Yeah, like it, take his Yeah. take his recent one where he's like tried to accuse me of saying that there's that heaven and hell are equal because like I said there is suffering in both, which was nowhere near my point. I was just pointing out that there's potential as stuff. much there's possibility for suffering right, in heaven because there was a war in heaven. Yeah, as much as I love <laughs> Pine Creek, he's just not on the level to be able to understand everything that he hears that comes out of Michael Jones's mouth. So that's why you can pick any sort of clip that he does and you will find uh, plenty of examples of how IP is being misrepresented. But that's not because uh, I think Pine Creek, uh, to be fair, is doing it intentionally. He just doesn't understand anything because he lacks the capacity to at this point in his education. Well, um, I would say this, he's played a bunch of those mashup clips of us too. And sometimes I sit there and listen to myself on his channel and think, amen. Yeah, so. yeah. The, the best thing about the short clips on Pine Creek's channel yeah. of Michael Jones is everything that Michael Jones says. And that's it. All right. <laughs> uh, real quick here. We've got, uh, wait, there it is. Uh, do you think one can have a metaphysical model for the supernatural through idealist quantum hermeticism? Yeah, so you can have a model for it. I'm not really the expert on that. I need to look more into that whole topic. But, I mean, it's not something I think is necessary. But there is some interesting things. You could probably look into it with regards to it. All right, and here's another one. But, I, I mean, I know Yeah, go ahead. Kyle Allender has done more on that than I have. So if you just check out his channel if you want to see more on it. You mean you don't know everything about everything? He would need, no. He would need three more hours to learn everything. Right, okay, gotcha. Um, so so uh, here's Fair another enough. one. We thank you all for the Super Chats. Um, Cosmic QQ says, can you guys tell me where consciousness starts at what age for a human and on what state of animals do bacteria have it? Okay. So I think that's sort of assuming that some kind of consciousness sort of comes in in some 
where along the material process. My point as an idealist is material processes are happening in consciousness. Uh, there's always been consciousness. That's just a basic tenet of theism regardless. And so the poistic point is, is that uh, consciousness is sort of just in a material sense is when you see like a brain or something, that's just sort of like focused or like sort of like a, constrained consciousness in sort of one area. It's not so much that consciousness comes into existence at some point or at some point attaches itself to the material processes. Uh, the idea of there being a, a life is the idea of like the consciousness has sort of become individualized or focused in a material sense within one individual. So, I mean, that's kind of the idea. You, we're, we're arguing consciousness comes first and the brain comes second. Yeah, so um, Shredid is back, and we're almost through these super chats, but if we don't run out, I won't be bothered. Um, says, oh, sorry, Michael, maybe I missed it. I probably wasn't paying close enough attention. Overall, I think you crushed yeah, it, and Alex did well too, but you were really good. All right, and our channel Thanks, angel, Jim Amberg, uh, thank you for the super chat. Um, he says, heist got here. Heist? got here has anyone given a plug for trinity radio extra yet glad to see ip here as well thank you for the super chat jim amberg yes we launched trinity radio extra yesterday and real quick michael i'm sorry to do this on your time but real quickly trinity radio extra exists because in the past before we kind of um our channel got larger as a result of responding to atheists on youtube our channel was more of a hodgepodge we had theological material pastoral material church stuff and then a lot of just senseless conversations that, that didn't have anything to do with anything. And Trinity Radio Extra is going to be primarily run by Jonathan Pritchett. Trinity Radio Proper is going to be primarily run by Braxton Hunter. And so that way you have you know you have both, uh, and it won't mess with the algorithms. And no, so we're not we're not splitting apart in two separate channels. I'm the band still, is not broken right, up. Right, I'm going to still be on Trinity Radio, and he's going to do a live stream for the other channel extra once a week. So. You just get more content that way. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to go through all these, but I will say, Nicholas Wheeler, thank you uh, for, I, I don't, Pine Creek is a Christ myth or is he not? I don't think so, but maybe. He's not. Um, okay, I didn't he's think not. so. And right, he's, go ahead. He's, he's a little bit more liberal than Ehrman, but he's not a mither. And writer John Buck says, uh, love all three of you. Do any of you have an argument for the incompatibilism between free will and determinism? Yes, we're going to go to that next. <laughs> um, and, uh, let's see what we have, uh, anything else here? All right. Uh, last one, Cosmic QQ says, sorry, this was no answer to my question. I can't remember what your question, question was. was at what Q point it, does, does, uh, somebody, oh, at what consciousness point? Consciousness start. but, but, but see, the thing is that assumes that consciousness, the question itself assumes that consciousness is an emergent property from matter as opposed to the other way around. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I would say you're conscious right. from the moment of conception and on. I mean, you never lose consciousness. It never comes in. What you gain over time is a soul. You learn you have more thoughts, more memories, more of uh, a personality throughout your life that is sort of be still contingent upon consciousness. So from the moment of conception, yes, and, you have consciousness that has implications for a major social issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I would say bacteria are conscious. All life has some level of consciousness. It's just that lesser forms of life like bacteria have less of a soul, have less ability to process information like a human could. Okay, I'm going to do one more question before we move on. It's not a super chat, but David says, IP, could a rock be conscious in the same way a human is? If consciousness is dependent on the brain, how would you know if that was the case? I mean, that, well, I mean, right now there's no physical way to explain how consciousness could come from matter, so I don't understand. I don't, I don't say you could 
initially show that you would say that you know that the the rock doesn't act conscious it doesn't do things that are conscious but i mean you know they there are materials to make the same argument about plants and we actually have more evidence that's coming in that plants might actually be conscious as well uh so i mean yeah, no, hold, up, hold, sense, up, hold up hold up ip because you're you're here now and i can ask you yeah vegetarians are about to lose an argument here. yeah i heard you say this recently and what the heck man because the only way i could think of that one could get there would be like in some, through some kind of a, of some kind of a panpsychism. So what what are what are you what do you mean, man? Well, I'm not. I don't think rocks are conscious. I'm just sort of talking about it from a materialist sense. If there's no physical way to, if there's no physical equation to describe consciousness. How can you say where it is and where it isn't? Is all I'm saying from a materialist standpoint. No, but I, I mean, so I think that's plant, what the question was. With the plant consciousness. With the plant consciousness. Oh. Well, we do have evidence that plants tend to act conscious in very certain ways. And so the difference is they're just a lot slower in how they display their conscious behavior. Out of curiosity, do animals have souls and do you think they'll be in heaven or the new heavens and new earth? Well, I'm, yes, I would say, well, every, every animal has a personality to some degree. Ours are just more compl complicated. So, yes, they have souls. They're just not able to develop souls the way that we are and yes i do think animals will be there because remember final heaven for christians is the resurrection right. the re restoration of all creation according to romans 8 so obviously animals are going to play some sort of part in that no i mean do you mean like do you think you'll see your cat in the new heavens and new earth i tend to agree with trent doherty on that and say yes but i Amen. mean it's obviously still up for debate but that's yeah. the way I, I sort of lean towards me it. too thank you Cats in heaven. We need to. I'll have. We'll, we we need to do a whole other thing on Trinity Radio oh. Extra about that because I, I want to talk to somebody else who believes it. All cats go to heaven. Do you think Michael Murray is? No one made a movie about that though. Do you think? Because yeah, <laughs> that tells you something. Yeah, right? that does tell. You. Uh, does Michael is Michael Murray and William Lane Craig are they right that animals don't experience physical suffering? That suffering. That's not what they say. I, I suffering. Don't, I, they can't reflect I don't, on their suffering. Well, I mean, I don't. I don't know if they can't. I think they certainly higher forms of animals can reflect on their suffering. Like recently, I'm waiting to take my dog to the uh, vet to get teeth removed and because they were just sort of rotting in the back of his mouth. Uh, so because he chews on rocks. We don't know why he chews on rock. He chews on rocks. But I mean, right. he came back and he seems like he was more distressed, kind of like fishing around in his mouth. Like he something was different with him and the way he sort of was responding and acting. Seem like he was sort of reflecting on what sort of happened, what's different, what has changed now. So I do think animals have some sort of degree of that. How far they're able to go, I don't think they're obviously as complicated as humans are, though. Like they can't obviously develop syllogisms to explain their problems. Yeah. Okay. I, I said that was going to be the last one, and this really will. Daniel Apologetics says um, Braxton uh, forgot. Brax forgot to tell you it was actually IP that brought me to Trinity Radio last year. He plugged a response video you had to Paul Ogia. Thanks. Right. So uh, what he's saying uh, is kick some of this along towards <laughs> Michael Jones to, to, to pay. For yeah, yeah, that's the, probably what it the is. Residual I, I, for the reference. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get to this clip now. Free will. And uh, this is Daniel Dennett on his understanding of free will. He's a compatibilist, which is a determinist who thinks that we have a sense of free will that's, that's appropriate. We'll, we'll listen now. Perhaps you'd like to explain how you come to terms with this question around free will and determinism uh, from a compatibilist point of view. Yeah. Um, 
the notion of freedom that is incompatible with determinism is not the notion of freedom that matters. The notion of freedom that matters is the engineering notion of freedom, the notion of degrees of freedom. Right now, you have many degrees of freedom. There are lots of different ways in which you can move your parts and, and, and move your lips and so on. It has nothing to do with determinism. Uh, uh, and what we want to do is look at which systems in the world are autonomous and which systems in the world are in fact being controlled heteronomously by some other controller. And if I have a drone and I've got the little box, I'm in control of that drone. It is not autonomous. Its, its activities are being determined by me. They're being controlled by me. However, I may be able to throw a switch which makes it autonomous. It is no longer in my control and it is then no longer in the control of anything else except itself. It's the causes raining down on it and you know the gravity and the wind and all the rest of that. It, those, let us suppose, they've been determined since time immemorial. It doesn't matter. An autonomous system can be designed to deal with those. In fact, it depends on the reliability, on the predictability of all of those forces. And to some degree, it samples those in order to improve its control over the situation. Now, what we want to be as free agents is we want to be autonomous. We, want, we don't want somebody else pulling our strings. I, I, have, a, I have a little cartoon of a, of a puppet that's making its legs move by, by pulling strings on its legs. That's what we are. We, we are self-controllers. And it's, it's really a, a, a bad trick of the imagination to think that if determinism is true, then nature is pulling our strings. Mm. Because nature is not an agent. Nature doesn't care. Okay, so I, I don't know how much of that you're able to hear, uh, Michael, but uh, I'll, I'll recap. Basically, it says we have degrees of freedom, and that's what really matters. And like I could have a drone where I'm operating the remote control for the drone, and, and, it's, and it's not autonomous because I'm controlling it with the, the thing. If suddenly we put it like on autopilot or something, now it's autonomous, and now I'm not controlling it anymore, and so it's free. And he said, it's a, you know, it's a trick of the imagination to think that, um, that, that determinism means you're not free because determinism is not a person who's controlling you. Now, um, first, let me, just, let me just lay out some groundwork here. I think most of the people listening probably have an understanding. Uh, but, but the fact is, libertarian freedom is the notion that, um, that you could have done other than whatever you ended up doing, or at the very least, what is both sufficient and necessary, is that nothing external to you determined your actions on the other end of the spectrum you have deter and there's not a spectrum is determinism and determinism says no no no, that's not real uh everything is determined by things outside of your control and and uh your the the past history of the universe it's like a chain of dominoes perhaps billions and trillions of dominoes but they all converge it's all determined they result in your neural structure, your physical body, your past life experiences, down to the firings of neurons in your brain that we call your choices, but they could not have been otherwise. Now, compatibilism is touted by people like Dennett as, and, and by some Christian uh, uh, determinists as an in-between sort of a thing, but it's not an in-between thing, and thoughtful determinists know this. 
Compatibilism is determinism. But what's going on is compatibilism allows you to say something like this. Look, you're free to do whatever you want. And what more do you want than the freedom to do whatever you want? But that, and in that sense, Dennett would say you're autonomous. No one is directly controlling you. But of course, your wants are attached to your past life experience, your neural structure, and all those kind of things, such that it's still determinism all the way back. So that's just a use. It, and uh, this is my opinion. I, I think that is a it, that is a rallying of free will terminology um, for for practical reasons. But it's still just determinism. And so the principal thing that you can comment yeah. on here, uh, if you like oh, to, wow, wow, wow. is the is the idea that look. If no one is directly controlling you in the way that someone would be directly controlling a, a drone, well, then you're free and that's what matters. And uh, that's not really, it's not really fair to say that you're like a puppet pulling, uh, that someone's pulling your right, string. Right, but, but what Dennett said was, is all of that stuff that you described as the past universe neurons and all of that stuff, he says, that's not an agent. And since it's not an agent, you aren't being controlled like a puppet in the sense that non or incompatibilist would want to say that determinism is some sort of exerted control over a person yeah go ahead michael yeah yeah i just i i'm, I'm definitely an incompatibilist i don't really see how that's real free will or real freedom or how it would even matter like i'm in agreement with you i don't think compatibilism is a thing because if you're still determined it doesn't matter if you're an agent and mind you i mean he sort of thinks that the agent is sort of some sort of like illusion or the terms he uses like a captain of the brain like it's it's sort of like this emergent like oh what's the word he uses it's like this emergent cobbled together collection of specialist brain circuits there's it's sort of like uh creates this like virtual captain of the machine namely your brain that sort of runs everything well if it's just some sort of like virtual a captain or which would be an illusion you're not really free you're still just sort of determined by the chemistry of the brain I don't understand how that you're just it seems like it's just pretending you have free will when you really don't. So I I, I guess I'm, I'm still kind of confused on how he could get there because it just seems like he's trying to have his cake and eat it, too. Yeah. And I think we can actually say that he supports our point indirectly without intending to, because, OK, the, the reason that compatibilists and, and this is true with, say, Guillaume Bignon's book on uh, moral responsibility. He's a, he was an atheist who became Christian. He's a Calvinist now. And he's an analytic philosopher. And, and he, he makes this point in his book, but, but determinists who are atheists make the same point that, look, you're using the wrong language when you talk about uh, determinism as though it's like a puppet or it's like uh, uh, or you're being coerced or uh, something like that, because um, in important ways, it's not like that. And Dennett says here the reason the, the important way that it's not like a puppet is that determinism is not personal. But here's the thing. What is true about all of these analogies that are meant to show us what determinism is like um, is that something external to the agent is determining what the agent is going to do. And whether or not determinism mm -hmm. is personal, something external to the agent, the past history of the universe, is determining what he's going to do. And, uh, and, and I like Tim Stratton's analogy for this because this is how Daniel Dennett makes the point even stronger than we would typically make it. What, what uh, Stratton says is, look, imagine that... Um, you, you found out that the person controlling your thoughts, or let's imagine that you found out a mad scientist was controlling your every thought, your every action, but also, also the next words that are going to come out of your mouth and what you're thinking as you're listening to us right now. 
If you found out that was true, that a mad scientist was manipulating that, would you have any reason to trust what you're thinking right now or any of your conclusions? Of course not, because you don't know the motivations of that mad scientist. But it's even worse with determinism precisely because determinism is not personal. It's worse because it's just the past history of a random universe that re or a determined universe that results impersonally in whatever you're thinking, doing, and saying. And so what he thinks is a way out, I think, traps him even further in this. And I won't play the clip. I have the clip where Keith Ward basically says, look, man, the thing that we want, our, our, our judicial systems, are set up on this idea that you committed a crime and you're guilty because you could have not committed that crime. You could have done otherwise. But if determinism is true, you had to commit that crime. There was no other possibility. And um, I think that is a very important thing. If determinism is true, you have to restructure your understanding of morality because despite the thoughts about objective versus subjective morality and whether between Christians and atheists and how all that works, let's just give you something. Let's just give you that it is objective, even though we don't think that you can get there. Let's just say that it's objective without God. It's a moot point because you can't choose to do the objectively right thing anyway. Thoughts on that, Michael? Yeah, I mean, I, I basically agree with what you're getting at. Now, this brings, I think what you kind of hinted to was a pretty important objection that needs covered is that a lot of materialists say, well, how does free will work? I mean, is everything just, if it's, you know, it can't be determined, so it's got to be random, and randomness isn't free will because it's just random decisions are being made. So, you know, they try to bring up this randomness determined dichotomy. And I, I think what they're doing with that is they're setting up, a, a, they're, they're presupposing the conclusion they want. It's sort of like hinted in the entire objection they throw out there, which is that they assume everything is either random or determined by prior events. But that's, you know, that's assuming that th those are the only kind of processes out there. And they're assuming consciousness is bound to the same physical rules. But I mean, we would argue consciousness is not. Consciousness is unlike anything physical, anything physical in existence. It's a category of its own. It's not another physical process. It's not another physical thing. So it's not bound by the same physical laws. To be self-aware is different than just choosing things at random or just being determined to do things. If you're self-aware, you're able to look at all sorts of different influences or different desires, and then you as the self-aware agent are able to sort of determine which of those you want. Yeah. So what they sort of do with that objection is that they set up this sort of false dichotomy, and they assume, they presuppose in that objection that consciousness is just another physical thing or like physical things. But consciousness isn't. Consciousness is to be self-aware. It cannot be described by physics. And so it's a whole nother individual unique process that is not comparable to anything else in existence. Okay, we have a, a low information Calvinist in our chats that I, I wanna clarify two I'll things. I'll be nice to our <laughs> Calvinist. No, anytime you say scripture trumps philosophy, he needs to go back and listen to our prior interview with um, uh, Michael, Michael Jones. Yeah, about the, this is Michael about Jones. The, yeah, as far as I've got his name right every time. I was just I was trying to think of how you said be polite and it threw me off. Yeah. See, this yeah. is why we need Trinity Radio extra, so I don't have to be polite all the time. But in any case, look, Isaiah ten does not clearly I, th that language again show compatibilism that God can use the actions of men to suit His purposes. And dare I even say that they're compatible with God's purposes in judging Israel? Uh, that's not compatibilism. That would be an equivocation fallacy. But yeah, there's nothing, there's no compatibilism, not Genesis 50, 20 doesn't give you compatibilism, that God does stuff and uses people to do stuff, and that 
they can coincide at the same time in God's eternal purposes and purposes in real time. It has nothing whatever to do with compatibilism. And saying it clearly shows compatibilism trumps your own statement where you say scripture trumps philosophy because you just dumped your philosophy in scripture like it's a commode. <laughs> Amen. Okay. Be nice. Yeah. Be nicer. But, but by the way, the, the idea that scripture trumps philosophy is a philosophy. The minute you begin to read the words of scripture and organize your thoughts around them, like the, the Bible presupposes that there is a God and, 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 it, and indirectly argues for the idea that there's a God. But the minute you begin to think, oh, then that means it's not true that there's not a God. You've yeah. begun doing philosophy. And, and in case you're new here, pseudo-pious platitudes and sanctimonious blather get nowhere here except to get you clowned. So lofty statements that you think sound so pious, no currency here, brother. So Trinity Radio Extra, ladies and gentlemen. Feel, be <laughs> feel better now? Got that off your chest. I have no idea who that person is. We love you. We're just, we have fun here, but... We pick on Calvinists. You'll you'll love me in the end. Even James White loves me now, so it's fine. All right. Uh, real quick, uh, we'll get this super chat in. Uh, let's see. Galen Abraham says, and that's got to be the coolest name I've ever heard. If animals have souls, are Christians obligated to be vegans, Michael Jones? Jesus ate animals. So does that trump any philosophical argument for veganism? Bam. Why does it got to be a philosophical? I mean, it's sort of a... Everything's cool. I mean, it's sort of assuming that anim that animals have to sort of like continue on existing. Uh, there's nothing in scripture which says that. I mean, we also would believe that death is not the end of the soul, especially for humans. So there's no reason to assume that. Um, there's no reason to assume that it, going on Trent Doherty, for example, that the animal soul necessarily just ends just because we need to use it for food. Now, I do agree with vegans. We need to do something about the current factory farming situation. I don't think the way we're raising animals is ethical. They're basically tortured their whole lives and then killed. And we need to you know, stop that, for example. I try to buy as much local farmed animals as I can. Uh, my wife and I just recently bought half a cow. So now we're stacked up on meat for the rest of the year. And it came from a local farm where the cat, cows get to live a pretty full life before they're sent to the slaughter and then they're killed in a humane way. So, you know, I, I do agree with them on that point, but I don't think we're obligated to be vegans. That's nowhere in scripture, um, and it's nowhere implied that that sort of is like the ultimate goal in a sense. Yeah. But, I mean, that's a yeah. whole animals, deep topic I don't have time to cover. Yeah, animals entirely. have the flesh, you know, the spirit and, and breath of life or whatever. Um, they are not made in the image of God, so you eat them. It's fine. Don't eat people. As if that needs to be said. <laughs> or dogs. Don't eat dogs. All right. Um, let's let's move on now to... Uh, I, I'm not going to play the clip, Michael. For the sake of time, I respect your time. I really appreciate you being here. I'm just going to summarize what Dennett says here. Well, I'm going to summarize this because I know you have trouble hearing it. So so here's what... Um, so, so Dennett then plays this... Uh, he gives this thought experiment. He says, all right, on this free will issue, let's imagine that you have two robot babysitters and one robot robot babysitter a is functioning on determined code it's determinism it's programmed to do things at an extremely effective level to uh to care for a child and uh, then, then you have robot b that is the same in every way except it's a random code generator such that whatever it does is completely random 
And he says, now, which one would you which one would you want to really watch your your kid if you had to have one of them? And Keith Ward said what I would say. Well, you'd want the determined. You'd want robot A, the one that's running on the determined process that's going to care, you know, for the child the way that it should. And then it says, there you go, because if free if you want to have this free will sort of an idea, what you're dealing with is randomness and, and randomness does not get you what you want. And of course, to your previous point, uh, Michael, where you said this is what I think Braxton, you were hinting at is they posit that there is a serious problem for us that either uh, you get determinism or randomness, but there is no way you get free will. And how how is there? Look at that. Look at that beautiful creature on the screen. That was that was beautiful. I'm, I'm so glad we saw that. See, I just love all of God's animals. I just love all of God's animals. So see, that's how you should be. Yeah. Well, that you know, that's. It's, it's unfair because I've made commitments not to talk about how awful cats are on today's program. And, and, and you're just treating me like a punching bag. But, but anyway, so is it the case, IP, that we either <laughs> have, is it the case that we either have just flat determinism or randomness? Or is there a way that we could have something like libertarian freedom? Yeah, I, I don't understand why Dennett even brought this analogy up. He seems to be confusing pragmatism with truth you well, which robot would you want the one that's determined you'd have more control over or the ones is random that's a good point well obviously we want the determined one look i may not want to die one day but that doesn't mean it's that doesn't mean it's going to change the truth of the situation of how reality actually works i probably will die one day just because i may not he probably want to, he probably will die one day that's right you probably will die yeah. one day he could be. I mean, so I don't understand why he was bringing up this analogy as if it was some sort of gotcha moment. He seemed to, is, is total confusion of truth and pragmatism there. But then again, he also even confuses free will. Free will is not randomness. It's not this idea that, oh, it's just everything you randomly pick. That's free will. Yeah. No, free will is a, a self-aware agent able to look at all different causes and determine the one they want. It's a little bit, it's not just randomly going left or right. It's a much more complicated process that happens in consciousness. Which once again is not like physical processes; it's completely unique and different. So I don't, I, I don't understand how where he was going with this analogy. I understand how it helped his case. He was just clearly confusing truth and pragmatism. Yeah, I agree. So, um, Daniel, let, Dennett, what, what do you agree with? Were you listening or playing with the comments? I agree with everything. Say back, uh, say, say yeah. back to Michael Jones. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand why Daniel Dennett would would okay, do this. Yeah. Okay. All I right. So. <laughs> So, all right. Uh, then the last thing that we're going to discuss here, and, and this this was really an interesting idea, because frankly, IP, I, I don't know if you're like me in this, um, but I, I while as a believer, as a Christian, um, I think the idea of of physical death, though, that may be a suffering process um, and, and, and may be, a, you know, may involve mental and physical suffering. The idea of death in and of itself and, and going to be with Jesus forever um, is a wonderful, you know, that part of it is a wonderful concept, and it's one of the wonderful things about the truth of Christianity. But um, I'm still fascinated by uh, movements or attempts to alleviate or cure death uh, by scientists. I think it's an interesting, interesting idea, and there are people working on that. Ray Kurzweiler is one, the age of spiritual machines. He's well known for that, um, going into all that. Bill Gates is interested in it, and others, and, and one of the things is micro- um, microbiological machine, not microbiological machines, um, nanobots, nanobot technology, um, where, you, where you could directly have a nanobot go in and say, destroy cancer cells and things like that. That's all very interesting to me. 
Um, but here we have this discussion of immortality. And Keith Ward says, look, on my view, this physical body could die or, or dissolve. Or That's kind of an interesting thing. How does an idealist imagine that? I guess the physical body would dissolve or something. Um, but he, but the, so, yeah, go ahead. So you're talking about why were the body. So sort of think of it like this. If I walk through a beach in the sand, I'm going to make a footprint in the sand. Now, as I move my foot away from the sand, the footprint sort of remains like an impression there. But over time, natural processes will move the footprint away kind of thing. That's kind of the idealist view of the body after death. It's like the consciousness has sort of been focused in this one direction to sort of build a soul over time. Once the mind and the soul leave the body, the physical impression is still there until natural processes take over and just sort of move uh, and sort of return it back to the dust from whence it came kind of thing. Okay. So that's sort of the idealist understanding. Okay. All right. So, so in any case, Keith Ward is saying, look, um, that we can survive death basically on this view, but on materialism, you, you can't, you can't survive the death and decay of your physical body. And then it comes back with, no, I actually, I actually believe you can. And Keith Ward is a bit taken aback by that. Like what, what, then you're not a materialist. And he's like, Oh yeah, I am. Because it, because what's going on here in my physical brain is information. And if one could get that information, and he doesn't say this, but Ray Kurzweil holds this position, that if, say, you could use MRI technology to map the, the contents of your physical brain, the information there, and, say, put it onto an Android body with an artificial neural net, uh, you could, basically, if you get the code, then, then, yeah, I could go on living, Dennett wants to say. But this, to my mind, this is obviously goes back to a to a to one of the most famous Trinity Radio episodes of, of our not very famous uh, ep, uh, channel. And that is that um, uh, we talked about this with Pritchett. If you had Pritchett, we could call this Pritchett actual here that's sitting before us. But if you could map Pritchett's brain and put that onto an artificial neural net while Pritchett is still alive, then this other Pritchett that we could call Pritchett. Uh, Prime. Pritchett Prime, you got Pritchett Actual and Pritchett Prime over there, who's the android. Pritchett Prime, if this were successfully accomplished, would perhaps say all of the things that we would expect Pritchett to say and even have the memories that he has. But where is Pritchett's conscious experience? Is it shared between both entities? No, come on. Intuition kind of tells you, no, Pritchett's still going to be here looking across at Pritchett Prime saying, who's this new guy and why is he claiming to be me? Right. Uh, which leads people like Kurzweiler to say, well, that's why you would have to kill the original in the process. But that, to me, is like the worst gamble yeah, imaginable. So how is that in any way a continuation of your own... Co- See, that begs the question, but it's but, but more so. How, how, how is that in any way a continuation it's of It's a you? copy. And, and speaking of determinism, if, if even if you want to buy into compatibilism, which I don't, the fact that you're on a neural net means that you could be determined by whoever hacks the code. So I'm just a <laughs> well, it's more of like... If I took all the memories out of your brain and I just put them on my computer and then I just it put them into Siri, Siri might act like you, but it's not you. It's just a mimic of you. Computers just mimic human processes and what they do. So I, I don't understand how they could think that that's sort of downloading but he, consciousness. Because you, then it would argue that that's all you think you are now, though. <laughs> that's what. That's yeah, it, it goes back to an earlier point is that when you get a bunch of thoughts together, how are you going to say consciousness emerges from these thoughts? Thoughts happen in consciousness. A mind has thoughts. How how could a mind or consciousness emerge from thoughts when they have to be contingent 
upon consciousness to begin with. It doesn't make sense. It's putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, real quick, Alex Armstrong says here. Uh, oh, he's asking JMD, but he had originally asked me, am I going to do a response video to the carrier Sheffield debate? Actually, I wasn't going to, but Sheffield reached out to me about coming on the channel. And so I think I am going to do that. We're just trying to work out when that's going to happen. All right. So so that kind of uh, brings us to the end of this, uh, what we're going to cover out of this discussion. So uh, consciousness or the nature of reality and then consciousness and then free will and um, immortality. You know, the, the thing is that I, that I see with this, Dennett, when I was reading his book, Elbow Room, one of the things I really liked, and I mentioned this this week on a show, is Dennett appreciates the intuition. He recognizes that we kind of have to go with our intuition on certain things. But when you get into very, very complex philosophical issues, you have to use thought experiments that he thinks that he calls intuition pumps. It's like you're pumping. You have to use the thought experiment to pump your intuition up to the level of that difficult question to then let it access it and tell you what should what we should believe. And I think when you use the proper intuition pumps to use Dennett's uh, terminology against himself on the issues of consciousness, free will, the nature of reality, immortality, I think that the intuition leads you as well as all the evidential information to the conclusions that are most at home within Christianity. And that's why if you're listening today as a materialist, you should drop that, accept Jesus Christ, and become a Christian. Right, IP? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I fully agree, but yeah, I don't understand. I mean, the very intuitive nature of consciousness implies it's not some sort of physical process. The, you know, if you want to convince me, you got to at least get some sort of physical equation to describe consciousness. And there is no clear path to get there. Uh, there was a paper published recently called The Neural Correlates of Consciousness, The Progress and Problems. Uh, Christoph Koch was one of the authors. And he sort of published some research that goes against one of Dan Dennett's thesis, which is that the entire brain sort of creates this virtual captain of the machine. But the up-to-date research is arguing there are these little hot spots within the brain that correlate with conscious experience. However, that changes if you have someone who has is mentally handicapped or has like, something like hydroencephalus. Uh, there's the hotspots can't explain consciousness there for some odd reason. So the researchers just, they, they're, they have just correlates at best, but they have no clear path to explain a causal relationship or some sort of physical equation to explain consciousness. And so I feel like Dennett, when he says consciousness is explained, he's, he just, I mean, he's, I, don't, I, I don't understand how he could even say such a thing with the way the research is right now. Consciousness has not been explained from a physical, a physicalist model. Yeah, real real quick, one thing I want to get to, and then Pritchett has one, and then we'll let you go, IP. But um, uh, Kelvi Cuello says, sorry if I get that wrong, are we conscious when we are asleep and dreaming? I'll let you answer that, and then I have something I want to say about it. Ah, yeah. Yeah, yes, we are. So think of it like this. There's a good analogy. Imagine you wake up in the morning, you don't remember any dreams, and let's say throughout the day you see a bird, and it reminds you you had a dream you were flying. So initially, you didn't think you were conscious during the night. Later, you realize, oh, I was dreaming, so therefore I was conscious for part of the night. So really, what happened was that you just didn't remember you were conscious. And there have been some studies on this. I'll, I'll mention them in my video coming out in August as part of the Year Do Soul Minds series, because I'll mention it in that video. Uh, there have been some studies that show that there are that uh, states like we associate with like anesthesia or sleep are associated with a lot of conscious experiences. And so 
the idea that sort of consciousness sort of gets turned on and off is not really true based on the scientific data. Yeah, so don't rely on the colloquial he's unconscious to mean that he really is unconscious in the philosophical sense that we're using. Um, so right. I, I, what I want to say about this, too, is this this actually gets at a really interesting question. Uh, one of the things that your position IP deals with well is the ship of Theseus continuity of identity sort of an idea. And uh, for those that aren't familiar, this is pretty interesting because when we when we talk about what it means to say that there is an enduring you, the experiencer that is moving through your life, that is that that there is some continuity of your identity. It's difficult on materialism to figure out where to place that because so you've got your physical body. Well, we we know that oh, it's my understanding that every seven to ten years, the cells in your body cycle out. You have new cells and it's not the phys same physical body in that sense. This is like unto the ship of Theseus from um, uh, from. Um, uh, oh, come on. Not uh, who's the, who's the um, well, philosopher, the Greek philosopher. Um, I don't know. Go ahead. I'll, I'll think of it. Well, to be fair, it's it's actually like I think it's a it, part. Some parts of the brain do not like replace certain cells. So the certain in certain areas of your brain, you have the same cells you were born with. It's only the body that is constantly replacing its cells. But there are aspects of the brain where the body cannot replenish those cells. So you could argue there's some sort of continual identity on a materialist view in that sense. But then you still have to deal with the hard problems of consciousness. Uh, but yeah, my view, I would say, better explains that because you're a conscious, irreducible mind that's not reducible to brain cells. I mean, you could take those cells out. I mean, you could think of a case like hydranencephalus, where a subject is born with mostly fluid in their skull, and yet they are still a conscious, self-aware agent, despite lacking the specific areas of the brain that would be necessary. Yeah. And so, yeah, you still do have an irreducible agent, on my view, that it, it can explain continuation of identity. Yeah, well, and this is interesting for physicalists who are Christians, Christian physicalists. I think this is an important thing to say because on the Christian physicalist view, the all of your cells, because your entire body is going to die and decay, and then you'll be resurrected later, which uh, which, of course, bypasses that. And so, so here's this is where the ship of Theseus comes in from Plutarch, obviously, the lives of the noble Greeks and Romans, where you had this character Theseus who goes and he's got a ship and they kept his ship kind of as a memorial. But every few years they replaced some of the planks that were molding or getting rotten. And so after, say, 100 years, all of the planks, all of the physical aspects of the ship have been replaced. So then the question is, is that still Theseus ship? Is that still the ship that Theseus rode on when every aspect of it? has been replaced. It's kind of like saying, I've got the axe that they used to chop down, that George Washington used to chop down the cherry tree, um, but the axe head has been changed 13 times and the handle's been changed five times. Is that still the same axe, right? Um, and so the, the issue is, if, if you have a physical body die and then later a physical resurrection, assuming that God doesn't draw all those all that matter back together, which most Christian physicalists don't think that he does, then, then what, in what sense do you have a, con a continuity there? Likewise, if you say, well, it's your memories, well, I don't remember, even if those are mapped onto my brain somewhere, I can't access the memories from before I was, you know, say three years old. Was I not a person? But Was I not me before then? And so it's difficult to try to find places to ground these, but your view does because as you said earlier, this, the, your fundament, the mind is fundamental in that sense. And so from the time that you were conceived, this is the enduring you, right? Yeah, I, well, I think you made a really good point there about memories, because if you're an emergent effect of your memories, 
what happens when you lose a memory? Does a part of you go away? Well, that sounds absurd. That's intuitively wrong. You are still an irreducible agent. There's still a you there. And again, memories are processed in consciousness. You can remember something, but you need consciousness first to have a memory. You need consciousness first to have a thought. How are you supposed to get consciousness emerging from thoughts or memories when those are contingent upon consciousness? Yeah. Yeah, really good points. So uh, listen, I think we're going to let it let it end there, Michael Jones. But I really appreciate you being on here. Hey, listen, uh, you know, I, I I know I don't have to say good good things about you because everybody knows they're all true immediately and knows what they are. But um, I will say this about you, uh, and I know we joke around and we get snarky, and I know that like me, that, well, like Pritchett more, it's very difficult to get genuine, just straightforward sincerity out of you in a platform like this because we're joking so much. But I want to say. Uh, it, you know, before coming to YouTube, I, I wanted to be able to, you know, be friends with people like William Lane Craig and Mike Lycona and those kind of people. And um, and, and I got to do all that. I, I got to experience those things and speak at conferences with those people. But on YouTube, it's a whole different ball game. And I don't I can't think of a person who has carried the torch for debating um, and giving a clear answer to skeptics. I can't think of anyone else that's done that better than you there may be some that do it as well i, I don't know of them yeah, he's my favorite. but 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 i don't know anyone who does well, it you. better and so i Way really than that winger and cameron people. <laughs> but i but hey, every everyone needs sidekicks i gotta have a couple <laughs> <That's right. laughs> <You're kidding. laughs> well pine creek says i've got a dumb sidekick but we know that's not true uh but listen uh I, i'm i'm really i'm really glad to have you and i'm proud to call you a friend and so i really appreciate well, you, you being here and again Tell us something else as we... Yeah, are you married yet? Or got a girl? I don't know about I'm that. I'm married and have a... I've been married for over a decade and have a four-year-old daughter. Wow, I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. Amen. Well, yeah, I learned something new. Two days ago, I had my 19th wedding anniversary. People ask me, how do you do it? It's very simple. It's not difficult at all. Just don't get a divorce. Well, simple right. as that. Now, obviously, there are reasons, I, but I... And have a live stream on your anniversary. People will give you tons of money like they gave him. That's all I'm saying. It's not why. But I don't. I'm not here for money. <laughs> oh, I am. Is that bad? <laughs> Is that wrong? <laughs> all right, Michael, man. I really appreciate it. And listen, I hope we can have you on again sometime. You're one of my favorites. And we'll see you next time yeah. on Trinity Radio. Yeah, the reason I was going to ask about that, see, I'm glad I learned that he has a wife because I was going to say if, if he was single and to all the single people, you know, find somebody who will say your name the way Pine Creek says my name. That's, that's... <laughs> you should. All right. Later, everyone. <laughs>